from Nehemiah chapter 1. Well, it doesn't come from Nehemiah chapter 1. It is Nehemiah chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Hislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. That which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcast in the uttermost parts of heaven... From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servant who delights to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy In the sight of this man, now I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, you've called us here this morning from many places. And you've called us here by one voice, by the voice of your Holy Spirit. We pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be present in each one of our hearts and present in this room, binding us one to another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Speak your word to us this day and have your way with us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jack Miller, who used to teach at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary and who pastored uh, New Life Presbyterian Church in Glenside and who founded World Harvest Mission, which is now called Surge, a ministry that our own Dana Fluter works for. Jack Miller used to say to his elders and to his staff, leaders should be the chief repenters. Leaders should be the chief repenters. By which he meant that those who lead a church should be the first to own up to their own sin, should be the first to confess their own shortcomings, should be the first to admit their own failings. 
Not just to God, but also to each other. Leaders should be the chief repenters. Here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church, our mission statement declares, for God's glory and by His power, we are a fellowship of sinners who worship God, study God's Word, love all people, and share the hope we have in Jesus Christ. In our mission statement, the very first thing that we say about ourselves is that we are sinners. We're sinners. It's only because we are sinners that we need Christ. It's only because we're sinners that we need His salvation. It's only because we are sinners that we need His church. Maybe that's obvious to you. Sometimes it's good to say the obvious thing. If I'm not a sinner, then I don't need Jesus. I'm doing just fine by myself. Now, I'm not so foolish as to think... Now, if I'm so foolish as to think that I'm not a sinner... I might get the idea that Jesus needs me. That Jesus needs me to do His work. That Jesus needs me to create justice and righteousness in the world. That Jesus needs me to build the kingdom of God. That Jesus needs me in His church. There is a brand of Christianity that teaches that. That teaches that everyone is righteous. And that the church is a fellowship of righteous people doing good things in the name of Christ. Well, that's not this church. When we at HVPC say we are a fellowship of sinners, we are admitting and announcing to the world that, hey, at this church, we're just a bunch of people who need Jesus. And that's true. We need Jesus desperately. And it is that admission that we desperately need Jesus that is the beginning of our hope and is the beginning of our salvation. Another thing that Jack Miller used to say is the way up is down. The way up is down. Now, Brother Jack was simply paraphrasing and updating what the Apostle James had written. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Keep in mind that James is not talking to the pagan world. He's talking to the church here. James is preaching to his own flock. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. The way up, the way to laughter and to joy and to exaltation, the way up is by going down, by humbling ourselves before God, by submitting to God and mourning and repenting of our sins. And so when we in our mission statement say we are a fellowship of sinners, we're not beating up on ourselves. We're not suffering from low self-esteem. What we're doing is having a mature and correct and a biblical view of who we are. We all like sheep have gone astray. And we have in sight the laughter and the joy And the exaltation that comes from letting the Lord lift us up. The way up is down. The Bible teaches that. 
And my own experience and my Christian discipleship also confirmed that in my life, that when I'm proud, I'm setting myself up for trouble. But when I'm humble, the Lord always supports me. When I cover up my sin, I'm setting myself up for disaster. But when I confess my sin, not just to God, but also to my brothers and sisters in Christ, God renews me, He gives me fresh strength and joy. Saying in our mission statement that we are a fellowship of sinners also is a way that we signal to those who are not yet part of this fellowship, who are not yet part of this church, that no one here at HVPC will ever judge you. We're just a bunch of sinners. Why would we judge another sinner who walks through our doors? One sinner judging another sinner at church makes no more sense than one drunk judging another drunk at an AA meeting. I don't need an AA meeting if I'm not a drunk, and I don't need a church if I'm not a sinner. It's an important point to make. And what's true of the rank and file of this church is doubly true of its leadership. Which is why Jack Miller would say leaders need to be the chief repenters. We're entering our third week of prayer and fasting here at HVPC. This has been a learning experience for many of us individually and also for us as a church community. It's not something we've done before in my time here. The past two weeks have produced all kinds of reactions and and emotions among our people. I've heard testimonies of sweet and peaceful communion with God. And I've also heard scoffing and outrage at the very suggestion that our congregation needs a season of humbling and confession before God. I've seen people looking inside of themselves and digging deep. And I've seen people pointing fingers at others. I've seen all kinds of reactions and emotions in these past two weeks, which I take as a good sign that the Lord is at work. There are no headwinds if a ship is not moving forward. And we are going to be heading into a fresh season of headwinds in this congregation as we get the ship of this church moving forward again. And during this time, let me say this about these headwinds, during this time when we are going to have these headwinds, we need... You and I need to have an extra measure of grace for each other. Because there are going to be misunderstandings. There are going to be mistakes. We will inadvertently step on each other's toes. And there's nothing more that the enemy would love to do than to see us fighting amongst ourselves. So we're not going to do that. During this time of creative change and turmoil... We are going to pour out an extra measure of love and grace and forbearance on each other. These are the oil that lubricate the workings of a church. So we're going to pull these out. Extra strength in the coming weeks and months. These past two weeks have been interesting for me, personally. I've had three separate fasts going on. Strangely, giving up food has not been a problem for me. I know I have lots of fat reserves, but I thought I was going to be more unhappy uh, than I have been. I had a one-day fast scheduled 
And that turned into two days and it turned into three days and I felt fine and I saw no reason to stop. And so that was interesting. It was an interesting new experience for me. There are also a couple of distracting pleasures that I have given up uh, during this whole time. Uh, and that's been very liberating uh, for me. It's given me more energy, more strength. It's made me calmer and more focused. It's been an interesting uh, journey for me. But of course, uh, fasting is never an end in itself. It's not a goal in itself. We fast in order to help our prayer and meditation. We fast as a sign of humbling ourselves before God. Fasting is not an end in itself. So I have to tell you that two weeks into this season of fasting and praying that I'm not done yet. What God wants to accomplish in my life and ministry through this season is not all wrapped up. There's still more work to be done. But let me give you an interim report. Some people use what are called breath prayers. Anybody know what a breath prayer is? So these are like short, simple, direct little prayers that you can say anytime, anywhere. We don't always make time to lock ourselves into our prayer closets and pray for long periods. But we can pray breath prayers while we're driving, you know, when we're standing in a checkout line, when we're waiting in the doctor's office. One common breath prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Okay, You can say that anywhere. Sometimes that's called the Jesus prayer. Another breath prayer comes from 1 Samuel. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. Maybe we call that the Samuel prayer. Because that was that's what the boy Samuel said when he heard the voice of God calling his name in the night. And then there's the garden prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. That's what Jesus prayed at Gethsemane. Breath prayers. It's a, it's a wonderful spiritual exercise. I commend those to you. My breath prayer these past two weeks comes from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. The Bible teaches us that our hearts are deceptive. Our hearts are always fooling ourselves. And sometimes we're so foolish as to think that we actually fool other people. But I hope we know that we never fool God. Because God is not deceived by outward appearances. Because God sees into our heart. And this prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart, is a prayer to be seen for who I am. To be diagnosed in my spiritual condition. Jesus is the great physician. And every encounter with a doctor begins with a diagnosis. You can't get better if you don't know what's wrong with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Prayers of confession, which we've been focusing on during... This week and last week and the previous week, prayers of confession are a way of speaking back to God the truth that God has revealed to us about ourselves. We don't understand our own sin until God reveals that sin to us and convicts us of it. Only then can we confess it and be free of it and be healed of it. And so for two weeks I've been asking God, show me my heart. Let me see 
my heart the way that you see my heart. Show me my heart so that I can repent, so that I can be healed. Leaders in the church need to be the chief repenters. God will forgive and heal any sin. Nothing is too big or too awful for God. He has seen it all. But the unconfessed, the unrepented sin is what weighs us down and saps our strength and corrodes our heart. And so for two weeks I've been praying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God sometimes will answer a prayer like that. By revealing things to us directly, supernaturally, as a kind of inspiration. That can happen sometimes. But don't count on it. Because more often God speaks to us through the pages of Scripture, or God speaks to us through other members of the body of Christ. Now, keep in mind that every individual who's in the body of Christ is in that body, not to serve themselves, but to serve the other members of the body. And so it is often a brother or sister in Christ who holds up the mirror for us and helps us see What's going on in our own heart in a way that we can't see by ourselves. I had a wonderful time of prayer this past week with one of our elders. An elder who knows me well, who knows my shortcomings as a father and as a husband and as a pastor. And it was for me a wonderful time to confess my sins before God and before this brother in Christ. And here's part of what I had to confess. A fear of conflict and an unhealthy desire to be liked by people. A lack of trust in God's providence and provision for my needs and for the needs of this congregation. An inadequate appreciation of God's deep, deep love for me as one of his own children. Those are just some of the sins that plague my heart. It's my job as the shepherd of this congregation to be the chief repenter. To be regularly before God and before other members of this fellowship of sinners owning up to my guilt. And with me in that stands the whole session, our board of elders. The elders are under shepherds of this congregation. They too are chief repenters, chief confessors, because they're leaders in this church. Thanks be to God. Our two readings this morning are prayers of confession. Psalm 51 is an individual prayer of confession, and Nehemiah 1 is a corporate prayer of confession. Both kinds of confession should be a regular part of our lives as Christians. So let's take a look at those two prayers in turn. Now here at this church, Psalm 51 is very familiar to us. We often use the words of this psalm in our uh, unison prayer of confession, which we have in worship each Sunday morning. Psalm 51 was King David's prayer after his adultery with Bathsheba and after his murder of Bathsheba's husband. And in this prayer, 
David comes clean. He doesn't hold back. He makes no excuses. But please do not think that David simply spontaneously started confessing his sins because he didn't. What in fact happened was that David sinned and then David covered up his sin with another sin and both sins remained unconfessed until Nathan, the prophet, confronts David, the king. All of us need a prophet in our lives. Not someone who foretells the future, but the prophet as the man of God, the woman of God who speaks the word of God to the people of God. All of us need a relationship with a godly person, with someone who loves us and is filled with the Holy Spirit, who can occasionally speak a hard and revealing word to us about the condition of our own hearts. I am confident that David was not pleased to hear from Nathan. Because David had a relationship with Nathan, however, because David knew him as a prophet, and because that relationship was already in place, God was able to speak into David's life through Nathan. And the word that God spoke into David's life through Nathan not only saved David's life, it also saved the nation. It wasn't something David wanted to hear. It wasn't something David went looking to hear. But it was precisely what David needed to hear. Which is what a prophet will do for you. I have been blessed by having a couple of elders in my life here at this church who can speak a prophetic word to me. Sometimes a word of encouragement. Sometimes a word of rebuke. But always a word that's spoken in love, a word that brings God's health and healing into my life. And having been confronted by a word of God spoken to him by the prophet Nathan, then finally David is stricken in his conscience and only then does he confess his sin and repent. We see the result of that confession in Psalm 51. In this prayer, David takes responsibility for his sin. David doesn't talk about extenuating circumstances. David doesn't shift blame over to someone else. David fully owns his guilt and culpability. And then he asks God for a whole laundry list of things. Have mercy on me. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Please notice that every one of these requests that David makes in desperation is about his relationship with God. Now David's sin had all kinds of other consequences. I mean, he was a king. And he was a husband. 
And he was a father and all of those areas of his life were impacted by his sin. But what David begs God for is that his relationship with God be renewed and restored. If our relationship with God is solid, everything else is going to be just fine. Psalm 51 is a private prayer of confession. It's a prayer of a private sin. But notice that it lands in Scripture, in the Bible, in the most public place possible. The Holy Bible, the best-selling book of all time, contains this private prayer of confession. Sometimes the sins of public people land on the pages of newspapers. But here the sins of this king actually become part of the hymnal of the people of God. Which is really quite extraordinary. That fact that David's private prayer of confession becomes part of our public hymnal is a sign to us that though we might pray prayers of confession for our private sins, that there is no need to keep that prayer in private. In fact, in some cases, that private prayer of confession might be beneficial to the larger body of Christ if it were made public. Think about that for a minute. David's prayer of confession of his private sin is included in the Bible and it's therefore God-breathed. It is useful for teaching and reproof, correction and training in righteousness. Your private prayer of confession might also be helpful in that way. Now I think one of the things that distinguishes a genuine Christian small group Bible study from a mere social club is the presence of the confession of sins. Those of you who are involved in some of our small group Bible studies have experienced what I mean. Now the majority of the people in this church participate in at least one small group Bible study here at Huntington Valley. It should be 100%. But it is the majority. And some of you have experienced what I mean. Christian brothers and Christian sisters telling the truth about the sin in their own life to the group. The people who do this are actually believing and obeying the Bible when the Bible says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. This is a direct command from God. Now, some people have this idea that, oh, I only need to confess my sins to God. It's just between me and Jesus. It's not what the Bible says. Direct command right there on the screen. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. There's tremendous power and freedom in that. And I hope all of you are embedded in at least one small group Bible study where you do feel that freedom to open up and confess what's going on in your heart. It will make a huge difference in your life if you have that kind of relationship with some group of people here in this church. And I would encourage you, if you don't already have it, to seek that out. Now, there are some people here at this church who participate in multiple small group Bible studies for some more power to you, too. So Psalm 51 is a private prayer of confession. 
Now let's look at Nehemiah 1, which is a corporate prayer of confession. We don't know Nehemiah 1 so well as we know Psalm 51, and that's kind of a shame. Because in the same way that Psalm 51 is a very good model for a private prayer of confession, Nehemiah 1 is a terrific model for a public corporate prayer of confession. Here's the background. For 70 years, the Jews lived in exile in Babylon. Jerusalem's been conquered, its walls have been torn down, the temple's been destroyed. Babylon, in turn, is then conquered by the Persians, and Cyrus, the king of the Persians, lets the Jews go back home. But not everything's okay back home. Nehemiah, he's a Jew... He's living outside of the land of Israel. He's working as a cupbearer, a a trusted official, to the new king of Persia. And Nehemiah receives a report from his homeland, from Jerusalem. And he learns that the city is still a wreck. It's in ruins. The walls have not been rebuilt. And the temple is a shambles. And in response to this bad news, Nehemiah, who loves his nation and who loves his people, is grieved by the downtrodden situation they face. And he turns to God with a corporate prayer of confession. In this prayer, he confesses his own sin. And he confesses the sins of his fathers. And he confesses the sins of the whole nation. Here's what Nehemiah prayed. O Lord God of heaven, hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. That's a corporate prayer of confession. Now, three things to notice here in this prayer. First, the prayer is for the people of Israel, your servant. O Lord God of heaven, hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Nehemiah is not praying for himself. He's praying for the benefit Of the whole people of God. There are times when we should not just pray for ourselves individually. But for the whole nation. The whole people. The whole church. And that's what Nehemiah is doing here. This three week season of prayer and fasting at HVPC. Is focused on praying for our whole church. For our entire ministry here. Last year. For the first time in 13 years, our church went backwards in terms of our membership numbers. So we're praying to God for the whole church that its work and ministries might be blessed again, might grow afresh again in the coming year. The second thing to notice about this corporate prayer of confession in which one person in which the one praying confesses his own sin, but he also confesses the sin of the larger body that he's part of, whether that be a nation or a church. Oh, Lord God of heaven, hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. When a nation goes off the rails, 
And when a church stumbles, it's really easy for individuals in that nation or that church to wag their fingers and say, Oh, look at those sinners over there. It's no wonder God isn't blessing them. But in a corporate prayer of confession, the person praying identifies himself with the larger corporate body as a whole which has sinned. Whether that's a nation or a people or a church. And that prayer says, we're all guilty, including me. And notice in this case that Nehemiah's corporate prayer of confession includes his ancestors as well. People who are dead, but whose past sins are bearing bitter fruit in Nehemiah's day. That's what he means by saying, my father's house has sinned. This is something we do not do very well as a nation. We have a really hard time owning up to and confessing the sins of those who have gone before us. Many of the problems we have in this country are multi-generational and have been brewing for centuries. And in a corporate prayer of confession, we can own and confess even the sins of our ancestors who are in the grave. Third, Nehemiah's prayer of confession is a persistent prayer. O Lord God of heaven, hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. The power of persistent prayer. We shouldn't just pray once and be done with it. When we are corporately confessing our sins and the sins of our people, there's nothing wrong with going before God again and again, besieging the throne of mercy until God relents. We shouldn't be shy about going to God with really, really big requests for setting big things aright in our families, in our churches, in our nation, things that may be old and deep and entrenched, things that human wisdom will tell us that will never change and we just best get used to them. What if we were committed to not getting used to them? What if we were to commit ourselves to not getting used to them, but to instead keep pestering God and asking Him that He sets these old sins aright? I believe in the power of persistent prayer. I had an interesting conversation with Scott Castleman, a fellow I went to seminary with, a fellow who is a pastor uh, in an EPC church down in Mississippi. His church is old. I mean, really old, a lot older than this church. And it's in a rundown part of town, and the people had written this church off years ago. They just assumed that it would wind down and die one day when the endowment was all spent. But in fact, the church is going like gangbusters. And I asked Scott, what happened? What turned the church around? And at first he said to me, well, we didn't really do anything. And this was, I actually met him at a a GA meeting, but then he came back to me later and he said, I know what happened. What happened was there's a a women's prayer group that meets uh, every Wednesday and that's been praying for revival in the church and it's turned the church around. And I assumed that Scott had gotten this prayer group 
going after coming to serve that church as its pastor. And so I asked Scott, how long had it been between the time that he got this prayer group going and they began to see things moving in the right direction in the church? He said, oh no, I didn't start that group. They've been praying every Wednesday for 45 years. The power of persistent prayer. Nehemiah prayed persistently for his people. He persistently confessed his own sins, the sins of his people, the sins of his ancestors before God, asking God to relent in the providential affliction that his people were suffering under. And that prayer was answered. Our prayers are going to be answered too. The session and the leadership of this church have been moving very fast in these past weeks and months. We have moved very fast in responding to the realization that we went backwards last year. And we don't intend to let that happen again in the coming year. And I understand that moving very fast can cause confusion and consternation in the church. Even though the session's been talking internally about the Go Center for over a year, even though the Go Center has been on my radar screen for five years, even though the leadership team, the elders and the deacons, went through special Go Center training earlier this year, most of you are learning about this for the first time this month. And you've been hearing me say that I'm going to ask the congregation to commit to $12,500 in New giving to meet the cost of engaging this EPC ministry consultancy group for the next two years. I know that it's all been very fast, maybe maybe too fast. I'm glad that some of you, probably more than half of you, I'm guessing, got to hear the Reverend Dr. Ken Pretty, who heads up the Go Center, preach here at HVPC earlier this year. Dr. Pretty is ordained in our denomination. He has successfully planted two churches in California. And he successfully turned around an older church that had dwindled to 13 members. And now he spends his time working with churches like ours in the EPC. Churches that are eager to see fresh seasons of revival and growth. Churches that are eager to have greater impact on their surrounding communities. In your bulletins are pledge cards. They look like this. Just a little flimsy sheet of paper. These pledge cards will let the session know how much you are willing to kick in. To help underwrite this important project. These pledge cards are going to be in the bulletin next week as well. And we will take them up at that time. And we're moving forward. Now here's the reality. Revival is always the result of confession. That's just how it works. That's how it works in private individual lives. That's how it works in churches. It's how it works in nations. When we confess our sins and get right with God... God's blessings begin to pour into our lives and into our churches and into our nation. God has called this church 
at this time to a season of confession. That's the reason for these three weeks of prayer and fasting. And God has called us to this season of confession because God is preparing us for a season of revival. I'm excited to see what God is going to be doing in 2020 around here. And I recognize that confession is hard. I recognize that confession is hard for a whole bunch of reasons, but confession is healthy and confession is good for the soul. And when we let God's Holy Spirit convict us of our sins, and when we respond in obedience by confessing that sin to God and asking His forgiveness and restoration, then we will be stepping into a season of God's blessing. And I want you to do that with me. Let me and the elders be the chief repenters around here. But please join us as we seek God's favor for this congregation. Let us pray. Father God, we worship you and we adore you this day. And we recognize that everything good and right and sweet and true and pure and holy has come from you, emanates from you. And we recognize that everything that is sour and out of tune and broken is the result of human sin. Lord, we confess that sin to you this day and we admit that we're a part of the problem. And we pray that you would Heal us of our sins and that you would bind us up and that you would prepare us for a fresh season of awakening and revival here in this congregation. Lord, it is our desire to reach the lost who are outside of these doors for you. There are people still in this community who do not yet know you as Lord and Savior. It is our desire to see them praising your name because you deserve all glory and honor and praise. You alone are worthy, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.